Philippians chapter number 12. I really do appreciate Brother Nate filling in for us on Wednesday night. <clears throat> Did a spectacular job. And one thing I was so thankful for is that he went as long as I do. Uh, I was afraid that he was going to preach a normal time. You get used to that. I'd be fired before I got back from vacation. Uh, but I'm so glad, Brother Nate, that you, you pulled it out the other night and, and kept the thing going uh, past 8 o'clock. But it, we did have a good time. Got, to, got away last Sunday to uh, St. Augustine, Florida, just for a few family days. Had a great time. Appreciate the opportunity to do that. Uh, but like Dorothy said, there's no place like home. Uh, I clicked my heels the other day in Florida and was excited to get on the interstate and head back toward Hattiesburg, and we're glad to be back. Romans chapter number 12, if you would and don't mind, let's stand together, stretch our legs, and honor the reading of God's Word. I'm going to read two very familiar verses in chapter number 12, uh, verse 1 and 2, and then we'll pray and let you be seated. Romans chapter number 12, verse 1, the Bible says, I beseech you, that means I beg you. He's imploring us to listen to what he's about to say as he writes to the leadership of the Holy Spirit of God. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. Be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Now, we could preach here for days, uh, but I believe verse number two has a couple of things we need to see today, and I pray that you'll open your heart to receive what God would have you to today. Let's pray together. Father, thank you, Lord, for the opportunity uh, to be here today. Lord, thank you that we do live in a country because of the sacrifice, Lord, of so many that we could have a copy of your word, gather together to worship, sing praises to your name without fear uh, Lord, of any Lord ramifications. Thank you, Lord, for this country. Thank you for the privilege. Now, Father, I pray that we take advantage of that privilege today. Lord, help us see that there are people meeting all over the world today, Lord, in basements, house churches, Lord, in the edge of the woods, Lord, just hiding from those who seek to destroy their faith and what they believe in. And, Father, yet we have the privilege today to meet together unafraid. Help us take full advantage of that, to open our hearts to receive your word, but Father, not only receive it and be a hearer of the word, but help us be a doer of the word today. Help us respond to it, Lord, and be obedient to however you may lead. And I pray even right now, Lord, before we get into the message, help us go ahead and surrender our will to yours to do whatever you may lead us to today, for it's in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. <clears throat> Last Sunday, I shared a very simple message with you on three choices that uh, concern a changed life. If we desire to have a changed life, there's three choices we preached about uh, at the book of Proverbs where we were to ponder the path of our feet and let our ways, all of our ways be established. And those three points were simple, to analyze our life, acknowledge our life, and to adjust our life. Because I think we all underestimate how often we need to actually change. I think it's easy to get accustomed to the way that we live and who we are. Uh, we get numb to the need for change in our life. That's why during the invitation time, so often we do not respond to the leading of the Holy Spirit of God and the preaching of the Word of God is because we get comfortable with who we are and we get settled as we are. It's kind of like a car I saw going down the road the other day. Someone was test driving and on the windshield of the car they had written uh, with shoe polish as is. Uh, that means you get what you get and you get what you see is there. And oftentimes that's the way we come to church and we leave church just as we are. Because we've come accustomed to the fact and complacent to the fact that we need change in our life. Now, why do we avoid change? Why don't we want to change? Why do we avoid it? Why do we resist it? Why do we push back change in our life? Well, it's simple. Change is very challenging, isn't it? Uh, we are in the South here. We are a very settled people. That is very much part of our culture. We like who we are. Don't try to change who we are, uh, whether it be the, the governor, whether it be the president, whether it be anybody. We just like who we are and, and don't go about changing us because we're comfortable with who we are and we don't want to change because change is a challenging prospect, isn't it? Have you ever tried to lose weight? Amen. I we're all laughing because we know that change is challenging, isn't it? Uh, I went on vacation last week, and I feel like when you go on vacation, diets go on vacation as well. And uh, my soul, we had a great time there in St. Augustine, Florida. It's a wonderful little, it's the oldest city in America. I have all these little boutique shops, and I put some pictures on Facebook when we got home. Of uh, We went to a grilled cheese gallery. 
All right? Some of you folks like art galleries. I like grilled cheese galleries. My goodness, had such a great time there and went to have some macaroons or macarons or whatever they call those French little cakes that are so good. And uh, my goodness, had a great time. And there was no point in me trying to watch my weight on vacation because watching your weight at home is hard enough. Uh, try it on vacation. It's hard. Why? Change is challenging. Try to change your eating habits. It's challenging. Maybe you've tried to change some of your style habits. You know, some of you, your style's a little bit dated, uh, and it shows. Yes, it does. All right? Your wife is right. It does show. And you try to change your style a little bit, but change is it's challenging. Why? Because you like socks and sandals, and you like fanny packs, and you just don't want to change, do you? Change is challenging. You're laughing because you're guilty, and it's okay. All of us have style problems from time to time. Maybe you've had to change a job in your life. I think all of us have had to do that. I had to do that two years ago. Uh, and change is something we resist and we avoid change. Why? Because change is simply challenging. We don't like it. We like to say simply as is. But the most challenging change you're ever going to face in your life is spiritual change. Whether it be from someone who is lost and you need to get saved, or you're saved and you need to get right, or you're saved and you need to walk closer to Christ, we don't want to change. We resist the leading of the Holy Spirit of God. Why? Because change is challenging. We like to be who we are. But understand this. Our Christian life is an ever-growing process. The Bible says, 2 Peter chapter 3, but grow in grace and the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. What does that mean? It means the Christian life is a constant growth process. There's always going to be change. You will never be a grown-up Christian fully. You may be so mature that uh, you're comfortable wearing socks and sandals and fanny packs and all of that, but you will never be a fully mature Christian. You're always going to be growing. There's always going to be change in our life that we need to make. And the wonderful truth is the Holy Spirit of God helps us with that. During the preaching of the Word of God, no matter how good or bad the preaching is, the Holy Spirit lets us know what change we need to make in our life. But we're resistant to that. That's why altars all over America are so often more commonly empty. We don't make our way to an old-fashioned prayer altar and get right with God or get saved or even make positive changes in our life, in our growth, and our walk with God. Why? Because we don't like to change because change is simply challenging. This morning, we're going to look at some spiritual changes that I believe all of us need to make, and we're going to have to get past some challenges in order to do it. I'm going to give them to you right off the bat before we even get into the message. You're going to have these three changes you're going to have to, to fight with. You're going to have an internal change, an external change, and an eternal change. The internal change is the challenge of yourself. Yourself wants to stay who it is, doesn't it? Look, I don't want to lose weight. I don't want to eat healthy. I want to go back to the grilled cheese gallery. I want to eat some more of those little French pastries. That's what I want to do. That's what I like. I don't want to change. If I'm going to change, I've got to get past the challenge of self. That's the internal challenge. But then there's an external challenge. Try to raise your kids according to the will and word of God. Try to walk with God. Try to be faithful to God. You're going to find that that's going to be challenged in the society we live. The internal change is self. The external change or the external challenge is the society we live in. But then you're going to have to deal with an eternal challenge, and that's going to come from the Savior. Aren't you glad that our Savior loves us enough to challenge us to change? And you have to decide, watch this, whose will is going to prevail? Is it going to be your will, the world's will, or God's will? Now watch this, it's ultimately a battle of wills, and the change in your life is a direct reflection on which will you decide is going to win. I saw this played out the other day at the All-American gas station called Bucky's. How many of you have been to a Bucky's? There's nothing more American than a Bucky's. Those beaver nuggets, my goodness gracious, they had the salted caramel. Even brought some of those home with us. I always get the pulled pork sandwich. Bucky's is the only gas station I look forward to going to, and I am already decided and okay with the fact I'm going to drop a $100 bill while I'm there. It's just, if you, their bathrooms, man, it's like the Taj Mahal. I saw on a sign the other day, the Taj Mahal. I mean, it's just amazing. The Bucky's, they have all of this stuff you can buy and food, and it's just an amazing place to go. And we stopped at Bucky's, and Myla and I were walking through uh, the socks section. They even have a Bucky's socks section. We're walking through, and this lady's holding the hand of her, her child, and they're going this way, and there's toys on the right, clothes on the left. I watched something take place that I'm also familiar with. 
the child begins to tug to the right. The mom begins to tug to the left. And I was like, it's on now. The child begins to tug harder. The mom begins to tug harder. Next thing you know, the kid pulls out all the stops, the nuclear option for children. He hits the floor and begins to scream. I thought it was a wonderful teaching moment. I leaned over to my daughter. I says, you know why he's doing that? She says, why? I says, because it works. Wouldn't do it if it didn't work. He's like, all right, mom, you're making me do this. Hits the floor and begins screaming. But then I lean over to Miley. I says, let's see who wins. The kid won. The kid won. His will overpowered mom's will. Watch this. Mom says, let's go this direction. The kid says, no, we're going this direction. And ultimately, it was the child's will that won. Now, watch this. The mom gave in to that. She chose whose will was going to win. Is it going to be her will for her child or his will for himself and his will won? You see, she chose that. Look, he was only two and a half feet tall. He couldn't take her, all right? She could have took him all day long. Matter of fact, I had a belt. I wanted her to, to, to let her borrow it, but I was afraid I'd get arrested, so I didn't want to loan that out to her, you know, by being aiding the bed and in the crime of disciplining her child. But her child won. Now, folks, can I tell you this morning... You have an internal will, an external will, and there's an eternal will. And this morning, every one of us are constantly locked in this battle of wills. But the will that wins is the one that you choose. And whether or not you find the change in your life, whether temporal in this life or eternal in the next, the change that your life reflects is going to be a direct reflection of which will that you chose to win. Now, here's the good news. The good news is it's challenging to make God's will your will, but Romans chapter 12, verse number 2, shows us all we need to know about the challenge and change, and that's what we're going to preach on today. The challenge and change. Now look down to verse number 2. We're going to go through this right quickly, and we're going to have an invitation, an opportunity for, to respond to what God wants to show us here today. He starts in verse 1, says, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. Now watch verse number 2. And be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is that good, acceptable, and perfect will of God. Now, obviously, we're speaking to Christians here. But the principles that bring about change in our life, listen, it doesn't matter this morning if you're lost, these principles apply to your life. If you're saved, they apply to your life. Now, notice almost in the middle of verse number two, there's a word I want you to see. It's the word transformed. You know what the word transformed means? It means change. When I was a kid, I had transformers. I don't know where they're at, but they're probably worth a lot of money today. Transformers, you know, it was a car, and you took it, and you twisted it around. Next thing you know, you had this man that stood there, Optimus Prime. That was my guy. You know, he was the good guy. That I was always on the side of the good guy. Optimus Prime, you know, you took him. He was this big truck. And next thing you know, you folded him out, and he's this, he's this warrior. What happened? He was a transformer. He was transformed. What does that mean? It means he was changed. Now, watch closely. We see in the middle of this verse... God's desire is that we be transformed, correct? God's desire is that we be changed. Now, notice at the end of verse 2, I want you to see another, another set of words. The Bible says that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect what? Will of God. Now, it's important to notice that transformation is a direct evidence of the will of God. All right? Notice that God is including transformation or change in the very same sentence that he includes the will of God. Now, this is an important attribute about God's will that you need to understand. That's number one. The will of God is transforming. Understand that. The will of God is transforming. Simply put, watch this. It's God's will to leave you different than the way he found you. Isn't that wonderful? Watch this. It's God's will, whether you are lost this morning and need to trust Christ or saved and need to walk closer with Christ, it's God's will that you leave this place this morning different than you came, as a matter of fact, better than you came. Now, notice this. God says, I want you to know that my will for your life is a transforming will. 
And every time you submit your will to God's will, it's a transformative process. Isn't that wonderful? When God shows up in your life and his will becomes your will, your life begins to change. I remember several years ago, you know, throughout ministry, oftentimes we'll get asked, hey, will you mind watching my kids today and babysit? And uh, being the wonderful wife my wife is, she always, not always, sometimes, says yes. Yeah, we'll watch them. One particular day, this family says, would you mind watching our children? Not going to call any names in case they're watching on live stream. And my wife says yes. And then she came home, I came home from the office. She says, so-and-so is dropping their kids off today. I knew why she was telling me that. When these kids come over to our house, they redecorate. They borderline remodel. We lock the doors. We hide anything breakable. Take the pictures off the wall. Hide any live pets. Hide potted plants. Why? Because they're all going to die. When those kids show up at our house, bad things happen. And man, sometimes knock on the door... We had one of those beveled glass doors. It was so nice because they couldn't see you seeing them. And you're like, don't move. Don't move. We live in a house on piers so you could hear us walking. Like, don't move. They're going to know we're here. And then when the kids wave, well, they know you're there now. And every time those kids showed up, something got broke. Something got messed up. Something got killed. And we didn't sleep good the rest of the night, wondering if one of them was still hid under the couch somewhere. Every time they showed up. Now, folks, unfortunately, we treat God that way. We don't want to answer the door of our heart. We don't listen to the Holy Spirit of God's leadership in our life. When truthfully, look, when God shows up, he transforms our life for the good. What does it say? It says, be ye transformed. Why? That you can prove the will of God. Listen, God, when he shows up in your life and when God's will becomes your will, it's a transformative experience. It will change your life and it will change your life for the good. When I got saved, first time God showed up in my heart and my life, oh, did he bring about transformation. I was a sinner, condemned to die, spend eternity in a devil's hell, separated from God. God showed up in my life. Watch this. He told me that he was not willing that I perish, but that I come to repentance. Watch this. Do you know what brought about change in my life? It was the will of God. What did he say? I'm not willing. It was his will that I be changed, that I be saved, and I be called the sons of God. All because of the will of God. Why do we run from the will of God? The will of God brings transformation. The Holy Spirit of God knocks on our heart's door. We think it's those three kids knocking on our door. No. He's trying to bring change to your life. He wants to transform your life. And when you give up your will for God's will, I assure you, he's bringing about everlasting change that you can't get anywhere in this world. Interesting study, you study out that word transform, the Greek word is metamorpho. Does that sound familiar? Metamorpho. Every time I hear the word metamorpho or metamorphosis, I think back to second and third grade, learning about the butterfly, that old ugly caterpillar. I don't know if I've ever seen a good-looking caterpillar, have you? Old nasty, wrinkly, fat thing that just kind of crawls along the ground. Sounds like some people I know, you know? This old ugly caterpillar. I shouldn't have said that. I said that in the flesh. I'm sorry. All right? I admitted to it. Old caterpillar crawling along. Just, I mean, good for nothing but fish bait. Kind of like those tomato worms, you know? Just nasty looking critters. Good for nothing. And then that old, that old, that old caterpillar decides, you know what? I need a change in my life. I don't know if that's how it happens, all right, but just for the sake of the story, you know, it gets that cocoon going on there. Next thing you know, out pops this most beautiful butterfly. You know what that's called? Metamorphosis. Metamorphosis, it's a change. Watch this. He looks different. He acts different. He's been transformed. Now, folks, that's what God wants to do in our life today. The Holy Spirit of God, listen, tugs at your heart today. Don't run from that. He's not there to wreck your life. He's not there to ruin your life. He's there to give you a life. He's there to change your life. Why? Because the will of God brings about transformation. Think about the apostles. Matthew chapter 4. They're sitting there on the, on the seashore cleaning out their nets, out there beside their boats, and here comes along Jesus. He showed up. What does he tell them? Well, he tells them what his will is. What is his will? He wants them to be fishers of men. That's his will. Does it just blow your mind 
that the almighty God of heaven lets you in on what his will is. Would you just think about that? There's not a whole lot of important people who call me and tell me what their plans are. President never calls me and asks for anything, you know. Our governor never calls me and asks for advice on anything. But the mighty, wonderful, all-powerful God of heaven lets me in on his will. And here comes along to Jesus, and he says, hey, I want you guys to be fishers of men. That's his will. He makes his will known. Be thankful for that. But wait a minute. How are they going to be what he wants them to be? Well, what does it say? Follow me. Watch, in order for his will to come to fruition in their life, it's going to come at the cost of their will. They've got to follow him. If you want my will in your life to be transformed into something you're not, you've got to give up your will to have my will. You can't have both. They couldn't stay there and become fishers of men. They had to follow him. And then watch this. What did he say? And I will make you. You know what that means? I'll transform you. Aren't you glad that God is in the transforming business? Look, he could transform a lost sinner into a very son and daughter of God. Look, he can take just a simple old quiet shoe salesman like D.O. Moody and take him to become someone who shook this country for the cause of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. And he could change you today if you were willing to give up your will for his will. Because only God's will is transforming. Your will is as is. Why did Jesus go see the demoniac, the guy who lived in the graveyards? Why did he go see him? Because he needed to change. When Jesus showed up on that seashore, that old demon-riddled man comes running out there, and the demons, I mean, can you imagine how creepy? Look, Hollywood hadn't made a movie as creepy as some of the real-life things that happened in the Bible. If you just read it, you'd find some of that stuff's in there. It wouldn't keep you up at night as, as bad either. Old demon guy runs out there. The demons begin to speak. Are you here to torment us before the time? Jesus looked upon him with compassion and knew what he needed was transformation that only Jesus can give. The Bible says when he left, that man was sitting, clothed in his right mind. What happened? He got changed. Why? Jesus showed up. When the will of God, listen, when you get rid of your will for God's will, it brings transformation. Think about the woman at the well. John chapter 4, why did Jesus say, I must needs go? Do you know what he's saying? It's my Father's will. It's my Father's will that I go through Samaria. There's a woman whose life is riddled with sin, and oh, she needs change. You know, folks, look, we complain a lot about what's wrong with our world. And yet we're the ones who have been given the cure for what's wrong with our world. The reason our world's in the shape it's in is because we don't must needs go. We must needs stay. And we complain about the people at the well. The woman at the well, the man at the well. We talk about them. We shun them and stay away from them. Brother Nate preached a wonderful message on it Sunday night, or Wednesday night. And yet the reason God left us here was to go to them and help bring about change in their life through what? Through the Lord Jesus Christ. I must needs go. She needed transformation. How did that happen? He went to her. By the way, can I tell you this morning, that's why he came to begin with. I want you to think about what the Bible calls you and I before we got saved. The Bible says we were dead in our trespasses and sins. Now can I ask you a question? Dead things don't have the ability to change. They don't. They are dead. The Bible says that we were prisoners. We were captives to sin. I've never been arrested yet. You know, leave the door open. Prisoners don't have a whole lot of choice and change, do they? Hey, guard, can you get me a softer pillow? I don't think it's going to work out too well. Can you get me a new roommate? This guy snores. Can you get me a cell where the toilet's not out here in the middle of the floor where everybody can see that? Could you give me that? And they don't even listen to you. Why? Because when you're dead and you're a prisoner, you don't have access to change. You just accept what you've been given. You see, that's why Jesus had to come. 
We could not change ourselves. We could not change the fact that we were dead. We couldn't change the fact that we were a prisoner. That's why Jesus came. Why? Because he was not willing. Don't miss that. He was not willing. It was his will that we be changed. He took his crown off, left the throne of heaven, came down to this earth, lived a perfect life, was crucified, and rose again. Why? So that we could be transformed. All because of the will of God. Without the will of God, all of us are still dead in our sins and captive to sin, and we're going to spend eternity in a devil's hell. But it wasn't God's will. The Bible says transformation is what? It's evidence of the will of God, that you may prove that good, acceptable, and perfect will of God. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 3. The Bible says after we get saved, listen close, for this is the will of God, even your sanctification. Do you know what sanctification is? Why? It's not God's will that we stay lost, but we get saved, all right? So, well, I got saved. I have been changed. This is all the change I need in my life. Oh, no, that's just the beginning of change. After you get saved, 1 Thessalonians 4, the Bible says it's the will of God, even our sanctification. Sanctification is when you become more like Christ. Less like you were, more like he is, that's sanctification. That's your entire Christian life growing to become sanctified. That's transformation. That's the will of God. Can I tell you this morning, there's no need for you to hope for change when you could have change, but it's only through the will of God. You want change in your life? You want change in your marriage? You want change in your home? You want change in your children? The only way to be fully, everlastingly changed is through the will of God. And that's what so often we run from. I'll give you this, and I'll give you the second point. The third one's short, okay? So hang in there with me. Oftentimes, we want God to change our situation. But we don't want God to change ourself. God, I want you to change this. Has your life ever been like that? Mine has. Ooh. We were on vacation there in Florida. And uh, you know, on vacation, I don't keep the car as tidy. You know, you kind of got a cup here and a cup there. My wife tries to keep it clean, but, you know, around me, it's a losing battle. And uh, there's a private beach we drive about 12 miles to, not far from where I used to live as a kid. And we go out on this private beach, and there's sand in the car and shells in the car and wrappers in the car. And I went to get dinner on, uh, on Thursday night, and I got in the car, and I was just like, Ooh. you know, you have those moments of sanity where you're thinking, my dad was right. I'm a slob. And you're looking around. It's such a mess. I said, you know what? I'm going to a car wash. I asked Siri where the nearest car wash was. She took me, man, got it all cleaned up. How wonderful it was to get it all cleaned up because it was just like, Bleh. Now, folks, oftentimes our life gets like that. Watch this. And we want God to clean up the mess, but not to clean up us. Do you know why the car was messy? Because I was messy. God, would you clean up the car? The car is just so, would you clean up my life? God says, no, I don't work that way. You see, God doesn't just treat the symptoms. He treats the sickness. The symptoms are what's all going on around you in your life. The sickness is you, and the sickness is me. I think Brother Nate mentioned it a while ago, 2 Chronicles 7, 14. Never saw this first Brother Jim, in this light until this morning. 2 Chronicles 7, 14, what does it say? If my people, which are called by my name, shall humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then will I hear from heaven, forgive their sin, and heal their land. Now, what do we want God to do? God, heal our land. God, clean up this mess that is here. And God could. God can. But God says, I don't want to treat the symptoms of the problem. I want to treat the source of the problem. He says, if my people. He says, what's so much of what we don't like around our country right now, those are symptoms. He said, the source is my people. It, look, if we want to see a change in our circumstances, we've got to be willing to ex accept a change in ourselves. That's why he says, if my people. Notice the personal pronouns in there. If my people shall turn from their sin and their wicked ways. What is he saying? He says, you're the source of your problems. But he can change that. How does he do that? He does it through the will of God. Deal Moody said this, the scriptures were not given for our information, but for our transformation. Look, don't ask God to clean up your life if you're not willing to surrender to be cleaned up yourself. 
You want God to clean up your life? So much of the trouble and the headache and the trial and the confusion of our life, it's a direct result of us. When I got in that car, I saw all of that sand and the Bucky's wrappers. All of the Bucky's wrappers were everywhere. My wife's little section of the car was clean. Miley's was okay, but she does have some of her dad in her. So her back, back seat's kind of dirty. And I'm thinking, man, this car just gets so dirty. Do you know why the car was dirty? Because of me. It's like my oil light. When we were on our trip, my oil light came on, and it said, you know, you have five miles, uh, five uh, percent of oil life left, four percent, three percent, you know. And we're on a long trip, driving a lot up and down the interstate. And, and finally, it says zero percent oil life left. And I'm thinking, my car's going to break down. And then I got an email from the car dealership. I think my car told on me. It told the dealership that I needed to change my oil, and they sent me this nice little email saying, hey, it's time for you to change your oil. And I'm like, they're watching. They're always watching. My car tattled on me. So I'm going down the road, and I'm looking at that little thing. It says 0% oil life left, and it just aggravated the fire out of me, just staring at it, just staring at it. So finally, I pulled in this five-minute oil change. It took 10 minutes, but I pulled in this five-minute oil change. I told the guy I needed an oil change. Now watch this. Imagine me going in there. And telling that guy, hey, can you get this light to go off? Hey, can you, can you change this light? This light's bothering me and bugging me. Can you change the light? He says, the only way to change the light is to change your oil. I don't want to change the oil. I just want to change the light. That's how we are with God. Turn all the dummy lights off in my life. I just want my situation fixed. So number one, the will of God is transforming. But notice verse two. The Bible says, and be not conformed to this world. Now, notice there's another will right there in verse number two that competes for our attention. And he says, be not. Can I tell you, anytime in Scripture you see a be not, it's an indicator of the natural potential to be tempted to do that. Okay? Anytime you see a be not, be not conformed to this world, there's a natural temptation to what? To conform to this world. Interesting study, that word conform means schema. It's where we get our word schematic from. You know what a schematic is? It's a blueprint. Okay, I think all of us have put something together in our life from Legos to some of that furniture my wife gets from dirt cheap, you know, uh, all the little papers in there. We've all put something together before, and that little paper is called a schematic. It's a blueprint. That's what that word is in the Greek. Conformed means schematic. Here's what God is saying. Don't be conformed or go by the blueprint of the world. That's what he's telling us. But watch this. The reason he's warning us is because the will of God is transforming. But number two, notice the will of the world is conforming. The will of the world is conforming. Can I tell you, it should be no surprise to you this morning, it shouldn't be, that God's will and the world's will are on the opposite ends of the spectrum. I don't care what the hipster preacher tells you down the street. They're on the opposite end of the spectrum. God's will and the world's will are not one and the same. No matter how much you try to marry them together so that you have happy people in your church, it's like trying to mix oil and water. It doesn't happen naturally. All right? They don't go together. The Bible says, be not conformed to this world. God's will and the world's will are on opposite ends of the spectrum. 1 John 2.15, love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes, the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. How many times did he say the world in there? He says, look, their ways are not our ways. They shouldn't be your ways. Now, don't hate the world. Look, the reason they're that way is because they haven't found what you found, all right? So go to them and share with them what they need, but don't conform to them. The will of the world is conforming. Now, the reason change is such a challenge is because you're swimming upstream against the current of the world. Have you ever tried to swim upstream? You ought to try it sometimes. Some of you need to get out more often, all right? I only had a couple of you shake your head up or, or no, all right? Some of you need to get out a little bit more often. It's hard to swim upstream. Why did the Apostle Paul call the will of God a fight? Why didn't the Apostle Paul say, boy, the will of God, I have sat an easy sit. He didn't say that. Before they chopped his head off, he says, I have fought a good fight. He didn't say, I have relaxed a wonderful cruise. He said, I fought a good fight. Do you know why? Because change is challenging. The world wants you to conform to his way. That's why when Elijah, watch, Elijah withstood the 450 prophets of Baal, 
he was exhausted. And he went and sat under a little tree. And what did he tell God? He said, take my life. Take my life. What had Elijah been doing? He'd been swimming against the flow. Going against the flow, swimming upstream. Why did Jesus sweat drops of blood in the Garden of Gethsemane? Because it was so easy. No, it's hard. It's hard not conforming to the world. It's hard. It's a lot easier just to go with the flow. You know, at every turn, I was thinking about this this morning. Boy, I love our teenagers. I love them a lot more, I'm sure, than, than the devil wants them to know. But I love them. And oftentimes, I'm sure our teenagers wonder why you have rules and why you do this and why you do that. It's because so much in our world screams at our young people to conform. Conform, conform, conform. Be like us, be like us, be like us. I had them in the office there before school was out. Just had a wonderful visit with them. Got to talk with them. Got to hear from them. I didn't do all the talking. Got to hear some good stuff from them. And uh, while we're in there, I says, look, guys, you know that I lean right. Okay? And I'm unashamed of that. I, I lean right. I'd rather lean right than lean wrong. Right? Okay. So uh, I said, I lean right. Some of you will get that later. I said, let me tell you why I lean right. I said, I lean right. Because I know oftentimes, look, our young people are going to be to the left of us, right? We get that. All right, leadership, we should lead the way. Our young people are going to lean left. I said, so I lean right a little bit, and we lead right a little bit. Let me tell you why. I said, because if you do go left of that, look, watch, at least you might end up straight up. But if I lean left and you go left of me, you're ever so closer to falling. You see, the world's trying to push them to conform, and I'm trying to pull that they don't conform. Why? Because it's not the will of God they conform. He says, be not conformed to this world. Everything is screaming at us right now, conform, conform, conform. By the way, it's under the call sign, or it's disguised under this very simple word we hear all the time, the word of tolerance. Now stick with me, stick with me. Do, I, do you guys have the picture back there? I think I sent a, a screenshot of the definition of the word tolerance. I want you to see this. Tolerance is the ability or willingness to tolerate something, in particular the existence of opinions or behavior that does not, one does not necessarily agree with. Our world is preaching tolerance, and the sad truth is simply this. The only thing they're intolerant to is the people who believe differently than they do. It's not tolerance. That's not tolerance. Do you know what tolerance is code for? Conform. You tolerate us, and you conform to us, whether or not it's in marriage, relationships that go against the word of God, whether or not it's in redefining the home, you tolerate, you conform, and you accept, even though the people who preach tolerance are not very tolerant of people who disagree with them. That's why it's a code word for conformity. They want to push us into the mold of the world, but my Bible says be not conformed to the world. It's just natural to want to go with the flow. It's just natural to want to fit in. It's just natural to want to be like everybody else. Dad preached the message on it while I was in, uh, at the marriage retreat a few weeks ago on trendism. Be careful. There, you know, there's a lot of things that my daughter is not allowed to do, not because I find in Scripture where it says thou shalt not. It's just because it's trendy. I don't want her to get in the habit, habit of trends because trends lead you to conformity being like the world, and can you, can you please explain to me what verse 2 says if it doesn't say, be not conformed to this world? Look, there's something, look, I'm not an oppressive dad. Doesn't she look just miserable this morning? Oh, yeah, you saw in all the pictures on Facebook, she looks miserable. No, but I'm careful. There's some things I don't allow her to do, places I don't allow her to go. Why? Because I don't want her to get in the habit of adopting the world's trends because the more you adopt the world's trends, the more likely you are to conform to the world's ideals. And my Bible says, be not conformed to this world. If you're not careful, you'll find every reason in the world to do what you want to do, and simply the reason is you want to fit in. By the way, that's mom and dad's too. I heard the story of a man one time. <clears throat> he was on a diet, passed by a donut store, and really wanted to stop me to donut. But he knew he shouldn't stop because donuts are just not good for you. Even Krispy Kremes, when you pray over them, they're still not good for you. And he says, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to pray. And ask the Lord, if it's your will that I get a donut, there's going to be a parking spot right there in front of the store, ready and available for me. And so, next thing you know, the man's walking out of the store with two dozen donuts. And somebody says, man, that's a lot of donuts. I said, yeah. I said, look, it was God's will that I had these. He said, well, how do you know? He says, well, I told the Lord, if you wanted me to stop here, there'll be an open space right here. And he says, it only took me eight times around the building for one of those to open up. <laughs> We're going to find a reason to do what we want to do. 
But do we have enough spiritual integrity left in ourselves to admit, I just want to fit in? That's why I conform. I just want to fit in. Hey, I would respect that so much more than people taking Scripture out of context to excuse their bad habits. I just want to fit in. I'm t- look, I'd love to fit in too, but I don't think even if I conformed, I would fit in. Just this kind of guy I am. Number two, notice the will of the world is conforming. I heard an old preacher one time. He stood out on the corner of a large city. I can't remember what city it was, and he preached, and he preached, and he preached. Repent, get right with God. Repent, get right with God. He preached. Finally, one day, somebody came up to him after years of doing that, and they says, look, why do you keep doing that? Nobody's going to change. You're not going to change anybody. And what he said struck a chord with me. He says, maybe I can't change them, but I still preach, if for nothing else, to prevent them from changing me. He said, I stand on what I stand on. Whether or not I change anybody else, I'm going to preach it to keep them from changing me. Why? Because the natural tendency is to go with the flow and just conform. But the Bible says, be not conformed, and you're going to have to fight that. Real quickly, all throughout Scripture, we see examples of people who conformed in an end in disaster. Psalms 106, the Bible says about the children of Israel, they were mingled among the heathen, mingled, mingled, and learned their works, served their idols, which were a snare unto them. Yea, they sacrificed their sons and their daughters unto devils. They lost their children. They sacrificed their children. Why? Because they conformed to the world that was around them. Do you know, we may not be physically sacrificing our children today, but I see children on a daily basis that are being sacrificed upon the altar of conformity. Because mom and dad want them to fit in. Mom and dad do not want them to be an outcast. Mom and dad do not want them thought to be a weirdo. And so mom and dad buy them everything the world has to look just like the world looks so they don't get picked on and they conform to the system. They have no idea. They're sacrificing their children on the altar of conformity. So that's exactly what's happening. That's why we're losing our children because we don't tell them, the Bible says, that we're not to be conformed to the world. We see a few examples in Scripture of people who didn't. We see Daniel. Boy, what a struggle that was. What a challenge. It was a challenge for Daniel to go against the flow. Got thrown into a lion's den. But it seems like God used Daniel, doesn't it? You know why he wouldn't conform? Daniel says, I'm not going to conform. He did it in a nice way. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, he wouldn't conform. I think it was on Thursday morning. I got up before sunrise and, and went down the street. St. Augustine's the oldest city in America. It's a really neat place. And I've been there a lot when I was a kid, grew up about, or spent several years of my life, about 30 miles north of there. And I got up one morning to go see uh, Castillo de San Marcos. It's a giant stone fort. You ought, to, you ought to go see it. A really neat place to go. And across the street from the fort, I want to I show you a picture, a few pictures right quick. Uh, you have the main gates of the city. That's the main gates of the old city built in 1565, cobblestone streets. Really neat place to go. And matter of fact, I want to take some of our teenagers there one day and let them see it. But there's the city gates. They've been there since 1565. You go down there, they have all these little shops. And keep scrolling through the pictures right quick, guys. I want to show you. Uh, there's a picture of the, the gates on the left. But I want you to see is on the far right. On the far right, you see a stone wall. And I want you to notice that stone wall is on the outside of the city gates. If you walk up to that stone wall, you're going to see a gate around that cemetery. I think I have a picture of the gate I want to show you right quick. It's the Huguenot Cemetery. The Huguenots. You do some study. They often get branded as Protestants. But the city was built by the Spanish. It was a Catholic city. The only people who could be buried in that city were Catholics. If you declared yourself to be a non-Catholic, a Protestant, or a, a Christian... You had to be buried in the Huguenot Cemetery outside the city gates. Before the day was over, I, I went back to the hotel room. Miley was still snoozing. Woke him up. We went for a tour around the town. And I had to have another video. I took Miley back. And I, I took her to the cemetery. I said, I want you to see this. I said, these are our people. These are our people. Do we have a picture of me and her standing there? I'm going to have this picture printed off, and I want her to put it on her wall. I said, this is where we would have been buried. This is where we would have been buried because we believe the Bible. They wouldn't let us be buried in the city. We'd have been buried there. We'd have been outcast. And I told her standing right there at that cemetery gate, I said, that's okay. It's okay being the right kind of outcast. 
the graves of those people in the Huguenot Cemetery are those who refuse to conform. No. That's not what the Bible says. No, he can't forgive your sin. Only he can forgive your sin. Baptism does nothing for you. Sprinkling does nothing for you. No, that's not right. It would have been so easy to conform. And I wanted my kid to see, hey, there's been people like us for a long time coming. By the grace of God, there'll be people just like us for many years to come if you just refuse to conform. No. Can I tell you this morning, Christian, it's okay being an outcast. It's okay. Because if you're an outcast here, there's a really good chance you're going to be an incast there. And they chose to be buried outside the city gates. First Peter 4. I want to hurry and give you the last point. For the time, the Bible says, for the time past of our life. Now watch this, time past. That means before we got saved. May suffice us to have wrought the will of the Gentiles. When we walked in lasciviousness, lust, excess of wine, revelings, banquetings, abominable idolatries. The Bible says that's who we were before the change. But then you got saved and you got transformed. Watch this. Wherein they, speaking about people that are still there, think it strange that you run not with them. That means you don't conform. And these next three words, I'm just laying in bed one morning. These next three words were just like highlighted in my heart. The Bible says they think it strange that you run not with them to the same. You're not like them. You're not the same. And they think you're strange. They think you're weird because you don't talk like them, act like them, dress like them, go where they go. They think it's strange. As a matter of fact, they're going to have you buried outside of the city. That's okay. That's okay. Why? Because the direction they're heading is not one they're going to want to be when they get there. Number two, the will of the world is conforming. Finally, we always get down to the last question on how we do this, all right? We got God's will, we got our will, and we got the world's will. How do we come about deciding which one is going to be the will of our life? Well, the answer is right there in verse number two. Be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by what? By the renewing of your mind. Now, that word by is very important. The word by means the means of achieving something. By how do we achieve not conforming but be transformed? The Bible says the means of achieving that are by that word renewal. That's our theme this year. By the renewing of your mind. What does that mean? It means our mind has got to change. The only way that you're going to give up your will and the world's will for God's will is to have a renewal or a change of mind. Number three, notice this, and we're done. The will of man needs reforming. The will of man needs reforming. When I got saved, salvation was not forced upon me. Was it the will of God? Yes. The Bible says he's not willing that any should perish. I don't care who you are, what you've done, or where you've been. God's not willing that you perish, that you die, and you go to hell. That's not God's will. So even though it was God's will that I be saved, he did not force salvation upon me. I had to receive it as a free gift. John 1.12, what does it say? But as many as has received him. To them gave he power to become, what does that mean? Transformed, changed, to become the sons of God. But as many as received him. So what's the answer here? Well, the only way that I'm going to give up my will for God's will and give up the world's will for God's will is I've got to allow God to change my mind and to change my heart. And can I tell you, he can do that. God's not going to force his will on anyone. You've got to be willing to accept it. And when you accept it, well, then he goes to the transformative work in your life. We were walking down George Street, my favorite place there. And there's all these people trying to sell you something. And he had those... You know, really sharp-looking guys with heads full of hair trying to sell you those lotions, you know, hollering out at my wife, you know, you got to watch that. Hey, this is this new sea salt, it'll exfoliate and all this and all of that. They're trying to sell me this stuff. And I saw him. I saw him a mile away. And I'd already made up my mind. I don't care what he says. I don't even care if it's free. And that's a lot for a preacher to pass up when something's free. I don't care if it's free and he pays me to take it. I'm just going to keep walking. 
hello, sir, you need this for your hands. Be nice and soft to hold hands with your wife. And he had that kind of Italian accent, man, that just really sells it good for the ladies. I had to put my wife on the left side, you know. <laughs> Head full of dark hair, greased up real good. He kept calling out to me, sir, it's going to be all of this and all of that, and you need this. And I said, no, thank you. I said, no, thank you. He just kept hollering, hollering, hollering. You see, I had made up my mind. I don't care what he said. He wasn't going to change my mind. And guess what? He didn't chase me down, stuff it in my pocket. I'd have decked him right there for that. He didn't. Why? Because I wouldn't let him change my mind. If you're lost here this morning, the Holy Spirit is going to call out to you. And he's going to offer you something really good, a transformed life. But he's not going to chase you down. He's not going to make you take it. You've got to allow him to change your mind. That transformation happens by what? By the renewing of your mind. You want the will of God? It comes about by the renewing of your mind. You've got to let God change your mind. Some of you have already written off God as religion. I don't need none of that religion. I don't need none of that church stuff. And you won't allow God to change your mind. That's why you're not transformed. God's not going to invade your will with his. He's waiting for you to receive it. You've got to allow God to change your mind. You know, when we're kids, we start riding bicycles. What do we have on the back of our wheels there? Training wheels. The only way we learn to ride it, unless you're just one of these independent geniuses, you know, is you have those training wheels to help you get up and help you get going. And after a while, you, you get going, you got it under control. You know, I think that's what all of us need this morning. We need training wheels. We need God's will. We got to have it. There's no way we're going to stay upright. There's no way we're going to keep going. There's no way we're going to find what he has desired for our life without allowing him to trade our will for his will. But you've got to allow him to change your mind. So watch this. What's the challenge this morning? What's the challenge in change? Well, God's will is transforming. God's word says he'll transform your life today. But the world's will is conforming. And the way that we decide which one is going to be the one that leads our life is by allowing our will to be reformed. Would you allow God to change your mind this morning? Heads are bowed, eyes are closed. Let's stand to our feet.